fellowship time. It's a, always a joy to be able to be with another group of God's people and to be able to share worship with them. I do deeply appreciate Ken Tan. He is a friend. I would say he is an old friend, but you might think I'm talking about how old he is. I just mean we've known each other for a bunch of years. And we do share a lot of lunches, and so that's why we've gained a few extra pounds, but it's been fun getting there, hasn't it, Brother Ken? Um, I would point out one small mistake in this bio. Some of you may have read that, and that's good. It, It tells some things about me, but down at the bottom it says I have two grandchildren. That is not correct. I have four grandchildren. So this thing just needs to be corrected a little bit because there's nothing quite like grandchildren. (laughs) They are the best. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of feedback for me. That might be better. That sounds sounds a little better. I don't want it to be so loud that it hurts your ears this morning. (laughs) Uh, I do bring you greetings from the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. That's where I work. The Baptist State Convention of North Carolina encompasses about 4,300 churches all over the state of North Carolina. Those churches cooperate to do things that no church could do by itself. Because we have that kind of strength, we are able to touch lives in so many places. We're able to help plant churches all over the state. We're able to help people to grow in Christ. Our vision is that all over the state of North Carolina and even beyond that, by working together, we can push back lostness. There are so many people in our state who don't know Christ. They are lost apart from Christ. We want to change that, pushing back lostness by helping churches to develop a disciple-making culture. Those are a whole bunch of words, and I can't unpack all of those words today. But that's what we're about, helping churches to, have, to be so in tune with the heart of God that they recognize that what God wants us to do is to make a difference everywhere we go by helping people to follow Christ, to be disciples of Christ. In particular, what I do at the Baptist State Convention is, a, is kind of unusual. It's a, it's a bit of a strange place <laughs> where I live and breathe and have my being, but Ken alluded to that a little bit a while ago, and I'm not going to bore you by telling you a lot about it, but as introduction to where we're going in the scripture, I do want to mention this to you, that what I do as I work with churches across this state is I help them in the, in the area of people who have rather exceptional needs. Uh, I work with churches across the state, helping them to reach people who are deaf, people who cannot hear, by using American Sign Language. Uh, I work with churches in resourcing them for people who are blind, who cannot see, so helping people to, say, get large print and Braille resources and those kind of things. I help churches as they work with people who have mental handicaps, developmental disabilities, helping to start ministries and to train people to be able to work with folks who have those kind of developmental delays. They're about... Uh, I know of about 180 or 190 churches across the state, Baptist churches, that work with people who have those kind of special needs. In addition, that Ken mentioned a little bit as well, helping churches that have literacy needs. 
Uh, so it's our literacy missions area. There are a lot of people who know English but can't read and write English. So we try to help churches to be able to minister to people there. We especially try to help churches minister to internationals, people who come into our country and don't speak English very well. So developing a ministry of helping people to be able to speak English, but not just so that they can speak well, but in the process of teaching English, we introduce people to Christ. So those are the basic ministries that I do as I help people in churches all across our state. My background and my real skill is working with people who are deaf. When I was a young teenager, I met a deaf girl. She was very pretty. At that teenage stage, I was just starting to recognize that girls were people in the world that you didn't just pull their hair and tease them. They were actually cute and could be nice and were fun to be with. So that was where I was in life, and I met this deaf girl, and she was one year older than me, but she was, she was mysterious. She didn't talk with her voice. She talked with her hands. She was very attractive, and I just felt that I needed to learn sign language so I could talk with this girl. It, it, was, it didn't start as a high and noble sense of calling, but over time, God used that experience to lead me into working with deaf people. That girl and I remained friends all of her life. She died rather young, but she helped me to start down that journey of learning that language and of getting involved in that, that people group and getting to know deaf people. I worked on learning sign language for a couple of years. I started interpreting for deaf people in my city. I started interpreting in the church that, that I went to. Um, just got deeper and deeper and deeper into that world. And as I felt God calling me to pastor churches, I went to college and I went to seminary and tried to get equipped that way. God called me into a deaf church. So I was the pastor of a church where everybody in the church was deaf, except my wife and I and a couple of the children. So when I preached, I preached in sign language. My, my hands just got after it. I still do that a, a lot all over this state. I meet with deaf people and I preach in deaf churches and I, I preach in sign language. That's just what I did. For 21 years, I pastored churches where everybody, just about everybody in that church was a deaf person. I, I, I tell you that I went into that work thinking that there would be a lot of things that I could do to help these deaf people. And that was true. There were a lot of things that I could do to, to help them. But what I discovered over the years was that God wanted to do a lot of things to me through them. I learned far more than I taught. And I grew far more than I helped other people grow. Although I was the pastor and I taught scripture and I helped people to come to Christ, certainly I helped people to grow. But the blessing that came to me and that is, in fact, kind of God's economy of doing things. You think that you're helping somebody else, and when you're doing it in the name of Christ, it's really helping you, it's blessing you, it's teaching you, it's growing you. So I, what I do not want you to hear is that I went to these poor, sad, pitiful, deaf people and I helped them somehow. 
They weren't poor, sad, pitiful. They were wonderful. They were great. And they, they still are. These are my friends. This is my world. It's the world where I feel most comfortable is when I'm in that deaf world with a whole group of deaf people and we are sharing our lives together. Out of that background, I came to the scripture wanting to know what does the Bible teach me about these people and what are things that I can learn from the Bible that are big, broad topics that all of us need to learn. So this is a sermon, this is an idea that came out of my experience with deaf people and out of studying God's word that I want to share with you. We've got the scripture, I believe, for the, the PowerPoint or on the screen. <coughs> I'm reading from uh, the book of Mark, chapter 7. This starts with verse 31, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. You can see the words there. You've got it all so that you'll just progress through the whole passage. Okay, well, let me read it to you, and you can read it there on the board as well. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him, they begged Jesus, to place his hands on the man. After Jesus took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then Jesus spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and said with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The story begins with one of those very rare occasions when Jesus was outside of Israel. He had gone with his disciples to the area of Sidon, Tyre and Sidon, which is in present-day uh, Lebanon. <clears throat> he was there for a short period of time, came back to Palestine, to the land of Israel, came back to his home area of Galilee, crossed over the lake into the area on the other side of the lake, which was called the Decapolis. The word Decapolis means ten cities. There were ten cities around in that area whose culture was Greek. Alexander the Great had come through that area and he had planted cities and he had left soldiers. <clears throat> the Greek culture was felt all over um, Palestine, but particularly in the area of, of Galilee. And there were these ten cities in which Greek was probably the primary language they spoke. It was the culture. Um, so anyway, that's where he went. He had been there not too long before and had healed a man who was demon-possessed. You remember that story where the demons went into the pigs and ran down the hill and drowned in the lake. After Jesus had healed that fellow, the people had asked Jesus to leave. They were sort of frightened by that kind of power and may have been disturbed at the loss of so many pigs. But they had asked Jesus to leave, and he had. But before Jesus left, he had told that man, go and tell your family and your friends what great things God has done for you. It seems to me like the guy probably did his job because the next time Jesus comes into the same area, he is welcomed. I don't know all the things that happened in that welcome, but we do have this one story. 
when Jesus came back into the area of the Decapolis, he was met by some people who brought their friend to meet Jesus. And this friend was deaf and couldn't speak very clearly. Um, We don't know a lot about the deaf man. There, There are two words in the text there that describe him. One is simply the word for deaf in the Greek language. It's just the word that is deaf, doesn't mean means he couldn't hear. The other word means that his speech was unclear. He had difficulty speaking. It's not unusual for a deaf person. In fact, some of you may have a deaf friend or you've met a deaf person or somebody may be in your family who is deaf. There are a lot of people who are deaf, actually. A large number of people. Most of us who live long enough, we'll start becoming deaf ourselves to some degree. And we will need hearing aids. And uh, my, my audiologist friend tells me that my wife and I both will probably need a hearing aid in the next five to ten years. It's just one of those things that happen. As we get older, we start losing our hearing. <clears throat> but there are a lot of people who are deaf not from older age, but became deaf when they were children or perhaps were born deaf for various reasons sometimes genetic, Uh, about one out of every ten deaf person who is born deaf is is deaf from genetic reasons. Um, The other nine who are deaf as young children usually come from sickness of some time. Sometimes the mother is sick when she's pregnant and the child is born with deafness or blindness or something else. A lot of times in early childhood, some of the diseases of early childhood, like meningitis and measles and chickenpox and other things, that can get out of control, with, especially with, with fever, can create deafness. Anyway, there are a lot of ways that people can get there, but a person who becomes deaf before they acquire language have many challenges in life communicating with other people. Because this guy could speak a little bit, but not clearly, it may have been that he became deaf as a young child, had already learned some language, and now years and years and years later as an adult, not being able to hear, he can still sort of speak a little bit, but it's not very intelligible. It's hard to understand what he's saying. So My point is we don't know a whole lot about him. We do know that he couldn't hear. We do know that his speech was so hard to understand that he's just described as sort of mute. But we also know this about him. He had some friends that cared about this fellow. We don't know anything about the friends. We don't know their names. We don't know how many there were. We just know that there were some people who heard that Jesus was coming. And the last time Jesus came, he healed a demon-possessed fellow and helped folks. So perhaps, I can think in my own mind, perhaps these friends thought, we have a friend, he's deaf, he can't speak very well, Jesus is coming, why don't we get them together and see if Jesus will heal this guy? It, it was pretty, actually, somewhat remarkable because it is rare that someone who isn't deaf befriends somebody who is. You may have a family member, as I've already said, or you may know somebody, but it's rather doubtful. I would doubt that there are very many of you who have a good friend who is deaf and uses sign language to communicate with. It's just there's a hearing world out there and a deaf world out there, and they don't mix very easily together. <coughs> Excuse me. But this guy had some friends who knew him well enough from his community that they thought Jesus can do stuff, healing kind of stuff. Let's see if he can heal him. 
So they brought him to Jesus. In my little world of meeting deaf people and people with special needs of various kinds, I don't know really very much that's nobler and better than bringing somebody who has physical or mental or whatever kind of challenges, bringing those people to meet and to know Jesus. That's a great thing. I'm, I'm proud of these friends who did this, who cared so much about their friend that they would take extraordinary steps, they would do extraordinary things to help their friend know Jesus. I, I want to be a person like that. I want to be a person who's not so busy in life and always running around and doing and going and blah, 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 that I don't have time to help somebody that's got some kind of special need along the way. Uh, I hope that you want to be that kind of person, a person who has compassion, a person who cares about the people that he meets and sees along the way. So these guys brought their friend to meet Jesus. Great. Now, they, they did a good thing there, but then they did kind of the wrong thing. Now, I, I don't mean they were badly intended or anything, but they brought him to Jesus. Try to picture this scene in your mind. They brought him to Jesus, and then they told Jesus what to do. That's seldom a good thing. You know, you just, you just don't tell Jesus what to do. You ask Jesus, what should I do? But they said, Jesus, would you just take your hands and put them on this guy? As, well, that was a good thing. As far as they knew, this is a critical piece of what I have to say. As far as they knew, his needs were that he hear. That's about as far as they could see. Jesus, take your hands, put your hands on him so that he will be able to hear and that so he'll be able to speak. We spend a lot of our Christian energy around that sort of stuff too. And it's not a bad thing. I, I'm not being critical. If you gather your church together in prayer and you say, what should we pray for? You will have a long, long list of people who are sick and people who have pain and people who have surgeries and people... I, I do the same thing. Sometimes we fall into the same trap. As far as we can see, what a person needs to do is to be comfortable or to, to feel better or to have his cold going. And that's okay, I'm not, I'm not putting that down. We do want to be healed. But Jesus knew that this guy had a need that was more pressing than being able to hear. Hmm. Me and he knew that there was a need that was more pressing than to be able to walk. So Jesus didn't do what they asked. He could have. He could have just touched the fellow and made him healed. Jesus on many occasions didn't even have to see somebody that was sick. Somebody would come to him and say, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, well, you know, go ahead. He's, he's well now. Didn't even have to see him. So all of the stuff that Jesus is about to do in this text was not done because it had to be done. Something was taking place in the background, I think, that's very important. Instead of just touching and healing him, this is what the scripture clearly says Jesus did. Jesus took this fellow and went away from the crowd. He went away from the crowd. 
If you read the Greek text, you would see that twice in that little phrase that says Jesus went from the crowd. He went from, from. The word's in there twice. It's not in your English text. He went from, from. He took the deaf guy away from the crowd. Off to the side. So there's just the two of them, kind of with one another, looking at each other. I think there are several reasons that that happened. My experience of living in that deaf world for a long, long time, I was not deaf myself, but I was deeply embedded into that world. I, I know that deaf people take in the information of the world through their eyes instead of through their ears like you and I do. We see things and our eyes are always taking in images and we're processing that and thinking about that. But the way that you gather information more than any other way is by listening. That's what you're doing now. That's what you do in your families. That's what you do on the phone. That's what you do with your children. That's what your children do with their parents. We're always talking to one another, listening to one another. You go to school, you learn because somebody stands up there and talks. And so you hear, this is the way we process. We take it in through our ears and we think about that. And Ears are omnidirectional. That means I can talk to you over here, but those people hear me over there. Ears take it in all over, but eyes don't work that way. Eyes are pretty much single directional. You might see something on the periphery, but if a bear went running by over here, I wouldn't be able to say, it's a bear. I'd have to stop and look at it. Oh, what's a bear doing at church this morning? Well, <laughs> you, it's pretty much single focus. So Jesus knew. <laughs> this is such a powerful part of this passage for me. Jesus knew. I don't know if Jesus ever had a deaf friend before. I don't know if he grew up with somebody that was deaf. Or maybe it was just because he was God that he knew this guy. He, he knows people. He knows people. He knows people. He, he knows you. Now, this is very important and very amazing. It's a mind-blowing idea. Because you live in a very singular world or life. Nobody can get in your skin but you. Nobody knows what you think or what you feel. You can tell somebody and your very close friends and family can understand some, but you are a unique individual in which nobody else in the whole world can really get inside of and understand. Nobody can. Except, it seems to me, from this story and from my own life experience, that Jesus knows me from the inside. He knows the thoughts, he knows the ideas, he knows the motivations, he knows the pain, he knows the joy, he knows the temptation, he knows the times I've goofed up, even if nobody else did knows that I goofed up. Most of my goof up happens up here. You know, I, I think about it wrong, I look at the wrong things, I, I, the mind does all kinds of stuff. Ugh. I, I wish maybe Jesus couldn't see all of that stuff, but he... He does. He knows me from the inside. Here's how I know that from this passage. Is that Jesus didn't just touch this deaf man and heal him. He took him away aside from the crowd. 
Somehow Jesus knew what this guy needed. He knew how he thought. He knew that his eyes had to take everything in. So they go off by themselves, the two of them, just like Jesus knows you. He knows your needs. He knows what's inside of you. He knows your hurt, your celebrations, the good things, the bad things. He knows it all. He knows exactly who you are and what you need. He took this deaf man aside, and then he started to communicate to him. Is what I see in the story, because you, do, you have to remember constantly in the back of your mind that Jesus did not have to do any of these things to heal this fellow. Didn't have to do a one of them. So why did he do it? This is Jesus communicating. When I'm with the deaf crowd and I'm unpacking this story, I will talk about, I will ask this question, does Jesus know sign language? We have no evidence that Jesus ever did signs. In fact, sign language is a pretty recent development within the last three or four hundred years that it has it developed for us in France and was brought here to America. Our, our sign language is based upon French sign language. There was no formal sign language when Jesus lived. There was no deaf education. A deaf person growing up in his family did what he saw. Somebody showed him how to hoe or somebody showed him how to farm or how to fish or whatever it was. And so all of his life was confined to those bits and pieces of things that he could learn that way. Deaf people develop home signs, things like, just, and you and I do that too to some degree. You, you'll say, would, would you get me a drink? It's just a, something, it just happens. Well, deaf people who have no formal education develop some kind of home signs too. You know, yeah, like I'm looking at you. Or you do that again. So we, we have, and some of the signs that we develop aren't very nice too, by the way. So Jesus perceives the need of this fellow to communicate. And so Jesus starts to communicate in a way that he could understand. The scripture says that Jesus first took his fingers and he touched the man's ears. Now, the man was deaf, but he wasn't dumb. He wasn't an idiot. He knew that his ears didn't work. Everybody else had ears that did something, and his didn't. So the first thing that Jesus is communicating is, I'm going to do something to you that's going to have some effect upon your ears. And the second thing that Jesus did seems kind of nasty to us. It's kind of like, oh, what? But maybe, maybe, from, maybe from the country that many of you have come from, you might have lived in, out in a farm region or something and understood some of these old healing practices. I, I, we think about spittle as germs and it's in his mouth. But in that culture, in that time, and in many other cultures, there is a recognition that spittle like has kind of like healing power. I don't mean it's like magic. If you get a little cut on your lip or something, it's well in just a little while. I got a little cut on my finger about three weeks ago, and it's still kind of red and swollen. If I picked at it, it would come. Ooh, you don't want to know that. I'm not going to tell you more about that. My point is this. Ancient peoples recognized that things healed quickly around the mouth, and they associated that with kind of a healing stuff that came from, from spit. And as gross as all of that sounds to you, and I'm sorry that it does sound a little bit gross, when Jesus spit and touched this man's tongue, what was being communicated to him was, 
I'm about to do something that will have healing, medicinal power to your tongue. I, I think the guy understood exactly what Jesus was trying to say. Because he would have known from his broader culture that spittle was used. Uh, on another occasion, Jesus spit in some dirt and made mud and put it on the guy's eyes to heal him from blindness. It was in the culture. They understood that here is a medicinal process. Jesus was communicating with this guy. I'm going to do something that will have effect on your ears and I'm going to do something that will have effect on your tongue. And then Jesus looked up, the scripture says, and he had a big sigh. I know that, that you understand, as do I, body language. When I, was, when I asked my wife to marry me, so she wasn't my wife yet, she's my wife now, but before... Yeah, we had dated each other for a long, 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 long time. And then one day I said, would you marry me? And she said, I'll let you know. <laughs> so my first, my first sigh was, <sighs> And about a week later, she said, yes. And I went, <gasps> And I'm being a little silly, but... On occasion, when you've experienced things or, that, were, that were deeply emotional, like you heard about the death of a family member or a dear friend, or somebody told you they would marry you, or you got a check in the mail for $100,000. I haven't gotten that one yet. I'm still looking for it. <laughs> but when it happened, your body just, whatever, there's an expression that just comes out of the depth of your body. That's what's happening with Jesus. He touches this man. He spits at him. He looks up and with a heavy sigh, communicating compassion and love for this guy, Jesus spoke one word in Aramaic. The word was ephatha, and it meant be opened. Be opened. And the guy was immediately healed. His ears were open, his tongue was loosed, he was able to speak correctly, the scripture says. He was healed. But I've gone to great length to try to help you to see that this is not just a story about a guy whose ears were healed or his tongue was healed. All of the things that Jesus was doing, I am convinced from my experience of living in a world with deaf people, that Jesus was doing all of those things to lead this deaf man to believe that Jesus could make a difference in his life. I doubt that this deaf man knew his name. He didn't know that this was the Messiah. He didn't know that this was the one who would die on the cross to take the sin of the world. He just knew somehow this guy who obviously cares for me and is praying the Attitude of prayer for the, Greek, for the Jewish person was not this. It was to look up to God. That's what the scripture said. He sighed. He looked up and he said, Ephatha. All of that communicated to this deaf man that here was somebody who can make a difference in my life. I believe that this deaf man put his faith in Jesus. He didn't understand everything about who Jesus was. He knew Jesus was somehow the one who could change his life. And he trusted him. So there were two stories, two miracle kind of stories that happened in this passage. The first one was that a deaf man was healed. He was able to hear and he was able to speak. And that was a great and magnificent healing story. But there was another 
miracle that happened there. That Jesus, who knew the intimate needs of this man's life, did what was necessary to communicate to him so that he could believe. And he did. And he did. And that's really the message for us. It's a message that I speak to you that maybe helps you think about deaf people and other things and learn some of that stuff, but if you walked outside of the door today and you said, you know, we learned some cool stuff about deaf people today. I've failed in my job. I haven't helped you to see Jesus. For Jesus is the one who knows your heart and mind and life and needs. And Jesus is the one who will make all the difference in who you are. He's the one who can do that. So this is not just a story about a deaf guy. This is a story about you. This is a story about me. The one who loves you and knows you better than anybody else wants to make a difference in your life if you will let him. It is far more important to know Christ than it is to hear. It is far more important to know Christ than it is to walk. As important as those things may be, you and I, if we live long enough, we'll probably lose our vision. We will lose our hair. <laughs> oh, well. We will lose our youth and our strength. We will lose that nice figure that we had at one time. It'll get kind of like Brother Ken and I. We will lose so many things physically, sometimes even mentally. There's so many things that we'll lose. And, and I'm not looking forward to <laughs> this pains that are going to come with even a little bit older age. That's not going to be fun. I'm not saying, whoa, that's great. Bring it on. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I am looking forward to to knowing that if I lose my hearing or if I lose my vision or if I lose the use of my legs, even if my mind is not what I want it to be, when I know Christ, I've got the best thing in the world. I believe that with all my heart. When you've got Christ, you've got the best thing in the world. He does at the end of the story all things well. So we come to the end of our time together. That's what I do for the Baptist State Convention. I travel around this state and try to tell people who have physical needs, like being deaf and blind and crippled and mentally handicapped, I travel around this state and I tell them that Jesus is what you need. Jesus is what you need. And he's what you need too. I want to offer just a short prayer. And then I think you have a hymn of response where based upon what God has said to you today, what he's said in your heart, you respond to him. Give him your life. Give him whatever you've got. Whatever your brokenness may be. Whatever the struggle may be. Whatever the challenges in your family. He knows all those things. He's not surprised by any of them. Just give them to him. And let him work through you. Let me pray for us.
Father, thank you for your word that is so instructive in so many ways. Lord, I thank you for this church, this people of God, who worship you and love you and share Christ broadly, but especially within certain cultures. I ask you to bless them as they seek your future and as each of the people who are in this room today seek to follow you. May they give their, their lives to you in full trust and full abandonment, just giving themselves to you. Thank you for your word that has spoken to our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, amen. You have a response hymn, I believe.